0: Hey, everybody, and welcome back to the Madness Continues podcast. I'm excited today. I'm interviewing uh, – this hit, took place months ago, by the way, so apologies to to Matt Griffo, who is the subject of this interview today. Matt's a really, really talented dude. I met him in London at the Troubadour. We were both doing comedy at one of the weirdest comedy shows I've ever done stand-up at. It was super bizarre. And uh, we talk about it a little bit in the show Matt is a musical comedian He's very talented He's an improviser He's uh, done. He does comedy and teaches it Especially musical improv all over the world He really has like the actual setup I'm jealous of how freaking cool his setup is In terms of what he can just basically bring about in his life uh, I want the same kind of setup uh, Gearing for it So, you know, share this <laughs> Get Help me build my audience, everybody. <laughs> uh, back in New York, which I'm excited about. That's the update for your, for everybody on this thing. I'm back in uh, the Big Apple. So if you're in New York, get at me, man. I'm going to be at the stand a lot and at uh, Stand Up New York and at uh, pretty much everywhere else. I think New York Comedy Club, probably my big three. So uh, thank you so much for listening. I appreciate it. Guys, without any further ado, uh, here is the interview with Matt Griffo. <laughs> like, unit that you've created. Tiny setup here.
1: It's, it's really impressive.
0: Oh, no, thanks, man. Uh, I'm re- I should let you know, Matt Griffo, I'm recording. Uh, welcome to Madness Continues podcast, Matt Griffo. Hey, uh, thanks for coming over, man. I uh, let me just adjust. I should have done this right. Is before. there audio that I need to listen to for this? I or mean, just I need just, have just monitor, just monitoring yourself. You don't really need them, but it's nice to hear your hear your voice. Ten what tends to happen, and it probably won't happen with you because you're a a seasoned performer. <laughs> is uh, what tends to happen is that people come in here and they sit down on the on this thing to record and then they and end they up forget that there's a microphone yeah and they get their they get all the way way back in the seat all the way back here talking on the i'm not good on forget. the pod and then i that's why i'm always like can you please put those in your ears because then they what tends to happen I'll is they just in. lean way back and then uh and then and then they'll never then i have to keep jet and i have to keep like gesturing them for them to come forward and they're like the fuck are you doing right but i mean you know what you're doing you know your way around a microphone i do uh, so Matt Griffo, you and I met in uh, London. Interestingly, what a weird show that was! What that was one of the weirdest com- comedy shows I've ever been involved with in my life. Was it the or because it for me it was just one of the weirdest. It might be the weirdest to me, and it and it wasn't. I mean, I've been involved with some real fucking <laughs> barn burners, but that was a bit. this was at the Troubadour, uh, which is a famous, an actual famous, mm. uh, like place in uh is a it was a yeah it's a famous bar yep and there's one part that's restaurant
1: and there's another part that's just an open kind of pub area yep and uh there was no one in like we came out on the call time but there's no one there and then (laughs) i didn't know what was happening i just knew there was another american that was there and then i got booked for it from a I don't remember who her name was, but she was like, there's this other show if you want to
0: do it. And I just thought, well, I'm free. Why not? So why it's not? A, and it's a famous club. Yeah. The, the so Troubadour I, is a famous club. I thought, yeah, that sounds That's fun. where the, like, the Rolling Stones used to play there. The Beatles used to play there. Right. There's all these like bands that used to play there. And so it it was funny because when I got that situation, I was like, oh, this is going to be great. And then,
1: yeah, so I, I went in and I was confused. And then there was a – I was – there was a a French girl there. Yep. And then there was a. That was it. Actually, <laughs> that's actually it. And uh, there wasn't even the people that were running it weren't there. And then eventually they came, and I was like, "What's happening?" And they said, "There's there might be a show."
0: Yeah, they're suppo- That was the weirdest part about it. Might it be. started like an hour late or more. And there was, uh, we were just hanging out in this, in the, in the, I, I I kept, I kept feeling, and here's the weirdest part about this for me. One, you had been doing a tour, I should say, this isn't for me, but you had been doing a, You had been in Europe for a while Mm -hmm. and kind of had done a tour teaching musical improv, if I recall. Yeah. I was, I was teaching musical improv in different countries and,
1: you know, Dublin, Copenhagen, uh, Oslo, Norway and, and Hamburg, Germany, Hamburg, Germany. And, uh, yeah, between performing and, and also teaching. And I was in London because there was a person who was a booker there who had who had booked me for a Croatian tour. Uh-huh. And that one was was actually great. It was there was a driver, there were multiple comedians, and we were getting paid to perform all these places, the hotels were booked out. Yeah. So, it that's that awesome. was that's awesome. That was really nice. And so I thought, well, that was good, so this other thing would probably be good. <laughs> 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 I get there. It was extremely opposite from my Croatia experience. Yeah, there's no one, and then the comedians were. Uh, I don't know. It Awful. was Weird. Awful. They were, per- but it was. It was. They were performing in a way of. Ah, uh, they were performing in a way of like no one is here. Like it looked like it was like they were alone in their bedroom, and they were they were just doing their best. Yeah, and I was like, we're here. In my mind, I was like, we're here. Weird. there's an audience here. Yeah,
0: there are actual people in this room, and then are, there was
1: one of them was like, uh, "Do you guys feel like uh, you want to hear another one?" And we, I was like, "No," and then and then he, I, I was
0: just like, honest. I was like, "No, I don't." Please, this is the, the host of the show kept this is uh, this has gone on so long. We're already already belaboring this story, but I, it's just so funny to recount it because I haven't really thought about it much since this happened. But I just remember trying to relate this to people and being like the 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 host of the show. Mm -hmm. was a strange guy in himself and the energy was so low and he like (laughs) didn't he just was it was almost like we were literally it was like hanging out in a fucking heroin basement Mm -hmm. and somebody just was like all right so we're gonna you know let's do some comedy and the girl that spoke french
1: didn't really understand much of what was happening
0: no lucky her i think i remember saying that to her i'm like you really are very lucky that you don't understand what's happening because this is fucking awful and uh, I hung yep. out, I had gotten off of an airplane, I flew from Chicago to London, and uh, got w- got off the airplane, went straight to the office I was working at, worked all day, uh, didn't sleep on the airplane, really, on mm-hmm. the way over, um, got out of the office, went to the Troubadour, <laughs> and then went into that show, which mm. was already running, like, super fucking late, I don't think really we got late. out of it until, like, 11-something. It went
1: really long. There, yeah, one, I remember one of the comedians who was... Who was like I? Who kept talk? He kept talking about how he had been performing at really big events and they were really great and really great audiences. And I completely believe him. Yeah, because that absolutely happens. Where you do some huge show. Yeah, and then you do another show and there's no one there. That that absolutely happens. But what you don't do is berate the lack audience of audience that's there. About you guys like, suck. You guys suck. When they're like, well, there's three people here. It's
0: really <laughs> shitty that three of you aren't 300.
1: Why are you doing a 45-minute set? for like four people
0: yeah it was super weird and that was basically and then there was another dude there was like some like really good comic guy who like came in but then they kept bumping everybody because like mm-hmm. they would like some comedian would show up that the host was like friends with he'd be like yeah man now, like tim's gonna get up and do his set man tim tim whatever and then tim would get up and it would suck it would and, he would and it went on for set. like 20 minutes yeah and I, I just was like, it was so disrespectful. There was a part of me that I think I even got up on stage and was like, fuck this. You were, I actually
1: did. I actually did only three songs, I think. Yeah. Like you I did you a, got I, up, went quick. They said, I, you're going to do eight to 10 minutes. And I was like, cool. And I did it. And I got off.
0: Yeah. And I think you were the only one who did his like time. I did exactly
1: then, what it was. And I left. I was like, or I didn't leave, but I got off stage. And I was like, there we go.
0: I, same thing as I think I, I got up and did. I think Your I set did.
1: was energetic. You were also like, also at the same time berating the other comedians. On it was stage. awful.
0: Yeah, it was. Which now I've become kind of famous for. I think in in, in Chicago is getting up and yelling at the other comic slash audience. But I was surprised. I was like, "Well, here's the American. There <laughs> he is, getting up on stage, thinking he knows what comedy is. <laughs> you guys, what kind of show is this?"
1: You guys are just going. You were like, literally, what we're saying now is you were saying on stage, but really energized. Yeah. remember the, the, Brit, should, the, the polite to... <laughs> British
0: didn't know what to do about it. I need to post that recording
1: on this podcast. I was podcast. just thinking, wow, this is.
0: You fucking guys. I just got so worked up. <laughs> this and I think quintessential quintessential I was like, bye. And then drop the mic like on the floor or something. American <laughs> here. It was the worst. It was one of the weirdest and worst comedy shows I've ever done. The other ones that I did in London were pretty good, but that one at the Troubadour, and you know what's funny about it is that's such a nice venue that I list that on my resume when I send that's like funny. stuff to Booker's is I'm really? like, you've done the Troubadour, and people are like, oh, that's a great, yeah, it's a really good. Really? <laughs> yeah. I've never,
1: I've never, I've never, I don't never i would want to tell anybody about that. Uh, <laughs> how
0: was that show? Well, let uh... me tell you a story, sir. Yeah, it's uh it was uh yeah it was a bad situation but it's nice to have you over here and uh, it was cool to connect with you in that situation because my you've been uh, indelibly uh, burned into my mind as a guy who's just a cool <laughs> like uh i'm over it slash international music comic like you know uh,
1: i don't think i'm over it i just understand what it is yeah <laughs> i'm just here it is
0: so how did you so uh, how did you get into uh, improv when did you start performing and when did you start performing musical improv I started. I'm 34 now. Uh-huh. I started doing. You do not look 34, by the way. Sweet. Uh, my none of my family looks their age.
1: Um, that's great. My it's a good skill to have. It's a good good job, Graham. Um, <laughs> so I started performing improv in high school, and I made it. A, I made a improv team. Uh huh. And so when I was like 16, I started, which is like in the what 2000s. Uh, it would have been 02 probably. Yeah, it's easy. My birthday is eighty-five, so it's a nice easy number <laughs> so,
0: for math. Yeah, you're probably a one then. two mm, then.
1: Uh, yeah, yeah, somewhere around there. So I started doing improv. I was like, I'd play piano. Yep. And I would also, I was on the team, but I would also like jump back and forth between playing piano and, and doing that and going on stage. And Wh- then, where 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 was this? It was in uh, it was in Rochester, New York. In, Got it. Uh, okay. Yeah, by Canada. Did you have
0: an improv like? club or yeah, like,
1: we made a improv club called jokers
0: wild it did we and you guys put it. on shows at your own high school we would
1: put on shows that we were not supposed to do really but they just kind of let us do it and we would charge a dollar and we would make a lot of money off of it yeah and it was great
0: so this is really similar to my story actually i don't know if we talked about this before i started doing comedy when i was 14 i started doing improv and i had a wow. teacher an art teacher at my high school who started going to Second City in Detroit and mm. decided he wanted to start this. In Novi. Yeah, in Novi, Michigan. Yeah, mm-hmm. no longer there, but was for a while. Mm-hmm. And he uh, he brought... Now there's Go Comedy. I'm sure you've done comedy there. I, nope, I've not gone really? back to that place. Have you <laughs> never? Oh, wow, okay. Well, there was Improv Inferno for a while in uh, Ann Arbor. And then they the guys, that closed. And then uh, the same guys who were kind of in the leadership group there opened Go Comedy in Ferndale, Michigan, which... Is at Nine Mile and Woodward, if memory serves, mm-hmm. and uh, they run stuff out of there now. And they're kind of the whole—they're the whole—that's the top of the improv community out there, I think. Mm. Um, that, and I think the Independent Comedy Club in Hamtramck, which formerly was Planet Ant. That's where Keegan Michael Key came from, by the way. Correct. And so, anyway, um, where this is just—you know—aside from diving down the weird, <laughs> sordid history of Detroit improv. Uh, he started, my art my, teacher started this club in high school, a similar kind of thing. And I just started doing improv at this club. And we did the same thing, shows like monthly every couple mm-hmm. months. And we charged $2. And we'd sell out the theater every time we did it. Yep. So there's like nothing to do yeah. when you're that age. There was a bunch of high schoolers that were just so excited to
1: like see people, other other people their own age, making fun of all the things that they're. That they also
0: about. hate. Yeah. Yeah. And it it was super popular. And the same thing is the administration didn't want us to do it. Didn't like. Didn't really like us. And tried to like close us down because people would say like "damn" on stage every once in a while, or mm-hmm. refer to the existence of sex. And that <laughs> was like, it yeah, exists. yeah. And the, uh, it was just weird. It's so very similar then. Yeah, and so it really kind of bothered the school community, which gained even gained us even more popularity. Right. And so that was a whole... I didn't know that you had done that for that. I've never met anybody else who started in high school.
1: Yeah. Well, I mean, we did it ourselves. Yeah. Like we, we And then we just taught the, te- the person who was the teacher. We were like, here's how the games go. You don't need to do That's so anything funny. other than just be here so that we we're allowed to do it. Yeah. And so they would be like, cool. Because they just liked watching us goof around and yeah. t- t- practice the improv exercises and stuff. And so they would... Because th- we needed for the school to have it they we needed somebody as a supervisor
0: Yeah, uh, yeah that was it you needed a, a the, the one supervisor didn't know anything about he, did, he, did he like show up did he even yeah he was, it was
1: great eventually his, his name was john edwards and he was he was so great and then he eventually we would have him be in part of the games and that's fun he was great he was he was like 25 at the time
0: oh so this is actually really similar because my art teacher was 22 or 23 He was like the youngest teacher the school had like hired in a mm-hmm. long time yeah and so it was a similar kind of thing. Except he, like, led stuff, but it was fascinating because he had just started doing improv himself. Mm-hmm. And he just thought, I'll just do this at the school because I'll just have Which a- another funny. outlet to do it.
1: Right. That makes sense.
0: And, uh, yeah, really funny. And But a lot of the same things, what it was, like, we all kind of were learning it together. Mm-hmm. And he had, like, Violas Boland's, you know, improv for the theater book. Uh-huh. And we followed a ton of games in that. His So all of his stuff was, like, really character-driven, character-based, like, a lot of character study stuff. Rather than, you know, if you go to Second City or I.O. or Annoyance or Comedy Sports Now, I feel like a lot of their stuff is less theater oriented. A lot of his stuff was like very theater oriented. Yeah. To begin with.
1: Where when I took class, do you know, Michael Gelman? Uh, No. When I took classes with Michael Gelman, he was part of the he was on the main stage back in the. 70s, yeah, I think maybe eight, maybe early 70s or early 80s. And um, <laughs> 70s or early 80s, I
0: mean, Matt just did exactly the thing I was talking uh, about earlier with there the go. microphone. And
1: um, 70s or early 80s, and his he's comes from a major theater background, and so Gelman was a, definitely used a lot of Spolin's.
0: Work. Oh, yeah, well, it's fascinating stuff to do. I started doing it in my day job, I was having uh a lot of my sales to go through like a lot of those exercises mm-hmm. because a lot of it is just it's it's fascinating this stuff especially for the theater because like a lot of the stuff that like is focused on in terms of like games where you like find the game or find the whatever like that stuff is really useful right but like a lot of the character-based stuff is just like helps you be a person in life i feel like and yeah so, listening Yeah. Yeah. Listening. (laughs) Listening. Yeah. Listening. And, uh, I think the, you know, not denying yes. And like all this kind of stuff is just really very simple things to understand for life. Um, yeah, we, uh, it's funny though, because we did, it's kind of, it sounds like it was similar. Sorry to keep belaboring this point, but it's like we would in the summertime, it was a whole group of kids who really loved doing this improv stuff. And to the point where when school got out in the summertime, we would still meet up like weekly or twice a week just to do practices. And there's no teacher. There's no adults. There's nothing. We just self-organize and and do this stuff because we just enjoyed doing it so much. Mm -hmm. And like, it got kind of wacky. Like we started doing before improv everywhere. We were doing shit like walking around the center of uh, my hometown, just following random people around in like a, in like the park imitating their walks and stuff. That's amazing. Like that. That's the kind of shit that we would end up doing. That's so fun. The
1: uh, what? What are your your listeners? What kind of are what are they interested in?
0: Uh, mostly my listeners that are fictional. Um, they're Perfect. they they do not exist in real life. Um, <laughs> these, all kinds of stuff, man. I get people here from all over. I got a lot of Chicago community people, some New York people, some listeners from Kingston, Jamaica, the Russian Federation, Denmark, Sweden. A bunch of people for some reason in Brighton. In yeah. England and then I mean there's just they're kind of all over the place mm. lots of people come here for the interviews with porn stars and then they stay for nothing else they leave right after that but well
1: <laughs> that's cool I mean if you're if uh, yeah what so what the topic what are the topics that you want to talk about is the question well I just
0: kind of was enjoy. you know we can just keep talking about I'm fascinated at how you kind of developed into you know getting to the point where you're going around the world you know talking to doing musical oh. improv and teaching it to people oh, I think that's, that's kind of amazing great. yeah yeah
1: um capitalism I think is, is the answer. Uh I mean cuz I love teaching. I love teaching. Sure. But I when I was a kid I would listen to comedy music. Like I would listen to Tom Lehrer who is a musical comedian from the 50s and 60s. And he's a he play piano and and do comedic lyrics that were social satire.
0: Tom Lehrer is he the guy who wrote Hello Mother Hello Father is that him?
1: No, that was actually just a dude who used to go to parties with his friends. <laughs> and then, it's, I, this is how much of a music comedy nerd I am. You actually fucking know this? Yeah. Yeah. He would, okay. they would, I thought uh, you were just making this up. No, no, like this it. is true. Uh, he would go to, the song he's talking about, it goes, it's to actually classical music. It's to our orchestral piece, um, famous piece. But it goes, uh, hello Mara, hello Fada, <laughs> Here I am at Camp Granada. <laughs> Camp is very entertaining. Something, something, that yeah. it goes. Something, but starts I think we have some fun when it stops raining. Yeah, <laughs> take me home, oh motherfucker. Take me home. I promise I will not make noise or mess the house with other boys. This is basically a song about a kid who's who's writing a letter to his parents about not wanting to be at camp. Yeah, yeah. And so the reason that that was written and why how it happened was these these people who were parents would like have get-togethers at their house. They would listen in the background would be. Uh, records of uh-huh. orchestral music and then for fun they would write parody lyrics they would write lyrics to the orchestral music that was as came, a, that was funny that's great and they had so there's multiple songs that they that guy and multiple parents had written uh-huh. and then eventually like somebody was like this is really
0: funny you should actually record this yeah. and
1: so they they had him like go to the orchestra because the orchestra already knows the pieces that's funny and then they just had him and then it became really popular and they recorded it
0: that's uh, that is so interesting because
1: the orchestra already had it all yeah. set up to record
0: yeah because they already know these tunes they don't right. have to learn anything nope that's so amazing that was
1: why that became really famous anyway Tom lair though he would do social satire like the masochism tango or he would do um uh the Vatican rag which is like a about...
0: like an old like an old weird Al Yankovic. Mm, it was original <laughs> songs okay got it weird Al does we're, we're, weird Al write some original he does but he's famous for his parodies you're right
1: that's where that's where he he is well known.
0: I will stop interrupting you. This is interesting
1: to hear about. Tom Lehrer is is known for original comedic lyrics. Uh, or there is also um National Brotherhood Week, which is about there was a thing that used to be in existence called National Brotherhood Week. Uh huh. Which is the reason of National Brotherhood Week was to say, hey, everybody who is a different race, we need to come together and be nice. And so National Brotherhood Week was a thing that didn't didn't go great, which is why it doesn't exist anymore <laughs> uh but he wrote a song making fun of National Brotherhood Week because i I don't remember how the I know the chorus like national Brotherhood Week national but where uh where uh, and Puerto Ricans dancing cheek to cheek you can harmonize uh with someone you despise. <laughs> Um it's something I forget how it goes but it's basically about like this isn't working. Yeah. All these people hate each other. <laughs> um but it was but what was great about him is he he is absolutely about equality and he's absolutely about pointing out the flaws in society. Yeah. And,
0: and just an artificial week of people doing that was not a great way to right. to, to draw right. everybody together. That's what together. he
1: felt And uh yeah so he played it was just piano and vocal and that was him. But anyway, so uh, as a kid, I'd listen to that. I'd grow up wanting to do comedy. Yeah. But I also loved doing music. So I I moved to Chicago in 2005. And quickly, I played piano in between classes. And then the head music director of the training center saw me playing, Mike Dakota. And then he asked me if I wanted to be trained as a music director. And I said, uh, yes. (laughs) And I could get, because I could get free classes. Sure. It was an internship at the time. And so I became an intern. He was training me how to become a music director. I got free classes. I kept taking more classes because then the other classes were like half off. And what, that's great. And because I was an intern, that was really an educational thing. And then I started to teach at Second City and I was, I was 20 years old at the time. I started teaching there and then I started to music direct for what was at the time called Brownco, which is now called the Urban, urban Twist. It's the, called or, Brown Co. because it was it was an ethnic. Uh, is the outreach and diversity company of Second City? Got it. And so they would uh, they would do race based sketch material. Uh huh. And Brown Co. was the title because of Red Co. Green Co. Blue Co. So it was a it was satirizing those names. Got it. Okay. And then they eventually changed it because people felt weird about
0: it. Yeah, I mean, I <laughs> I still think it's funny. Uh, Brown Co. is I think kind of funny. It yeah, feels like that should have a resurgence. It's poking fun at the other. Yeah, titles. the other titles around the thing. So you got to do I, man that's like the that's like the velvet glove treatment dude doing the music director and then getting uh, some classes pretty dope. Yeah, it was pretty great. So how long did that but well, what year was that and how long did that go on for?
1: I was I was teaching and music directing until 2010. 2000, yeah, about 2009-2010 because I I was really I realized I was being pigeonholed as only a piano player. Uh you know cuz there's a ton of improvisers. Yep. There's a million of those. But for piano players, good piano players, they were more limited. Mm. And so they were like, well, we we need this guy on piano. We have a ton of people that can go on stage and do the make-em-ups. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <sighs> I was getting really frustrated with that. And so I was eventually like, I'm done. And I told Mike, who had hired me, it was like, I quit. Yeah. And he was
0: really mad. Because <laughs> he'd spent a lot of time. Did it, cause it come out of nowhere? Or like, did you have it, conversations it, yeah, with I him I had, about had
1: conversations. But it, I had conversations. and He was like, "No, it's okay. This is why it's working." And then I was, I was like, "No, it's not." And so I, I was like, "I'm gonna, I'm not doing music directing anymore." And got it. Yeah. And then I and then I went on to work for Tourco for a bit and the Green Coat Company, and I, I didn't, I really disliked that too.
0: Um, why? Well, how come? I feel like that's what a lot of people. That's like the the goal for a lot of people is to work for one sure of the touring is companies. The goal.
1: It, uh, because. Well, it was because I was, a, was the music director. I think if I was the uh, I was a performer on stage there's more to do. Got
0: it. Okay. But I was bored because
1: I'm there and then And you're I'm only doing one thing. Waiting for me to press spacebar on a for a doorbell sound. <laughs> you know, and then there's you know, I wait thirty minutes and then we have a a three minute song. Yep. And then I'm playing piano for that, but then I press space bar on another segue track, which I'm not even playing. It's just like some recorded track. And so it was very boring for me I was yeah. basically just a Yeah, you weren't doing
0: sure. any yeah you're not doing any actual improv so in 2008 I started to
1: do my solo comedy stuff because I was like I really like Tom I love Tom Lair and I want I love playing music yeah but I also love comedy so how do I combine those two things so I started doing solo work and I started performing a lot in stand-up clubs um, and I disliked it
0: yeah what clubs well at the time so when you're saying like solo work like what was some of the stuff that you were you recorded an album? Mm-hmm. And you had like a whole bunch of uh, other like bits that you were doing that involved, you know, music. Mm-hmm. But like, what were some of the, what was like your stage performance at the time for those stand up clubs?
1: It was, I would say it's very similar to now. It uh-huh. was just, it was, it was more juvenile. Mm. You know, it was like, I had a song called You Bitch. It was like, <laughs> um, you always, it was, I don't remember what the hell the hell so, so long ago that I did it, but it was about, it, which, actually, I noticed when I'm doing songwriting classes for comedic writing that this is this tends to be one of the first songs that that anybody writes. It doesn't matter what gender they are, it, they will tend to write a song as one of their first comedy songs about the whatever person they're in a relationship with that's yeah. an asshole.
0: And that's so funny. It's a, and, a comment. I, it's a, what, a, it must be a this is like very experience. It's really human, great when human human I see it. I see
1: all the different versions of it. I'm like, <laughs> oh, there it is. Yeah. Um, <laughs> It's very common for that. Anyway, that one, and there was like another one called Vagina Monster, which was my mom's favorite song.
0: That's wh- what? Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I,
1: when I when I do shows in my hometown, she will still be like Vagina Monster, and I'm like, Oh my god,
0: mom! You're like, I don't play. I haven't played that song for years, mom. Why does she? Why? Why is that her favorite song? <sighs> Just
1: unique parents. She's a, she's a funny lady. Uh, when I was 14, she. Fifteen, fourteen, or 15, I think when I was fourteen, she made a mix CD for me, and on the CD <laughs> it had um, Monty Python. Oh going, yeah, um, wouldn't it? Uh, isn't it awfully nice to have a penis? Isn't, isn't it, it awfully good to have a dong? dong? Yeah, I love that. that. One. Eric Idle. Yep. And then it also had "Don't Want No Short Dick Man." Oh yeah, and, by uh, by. Uh...
0: The f- Who the fuck did that? I never no remember- yeah, But anyway. my dad
1: would come into my, I remember the first time, my dad came into my bedroom and was like, what, what, the what is happening? Because yeah. I'm dancing around in a 14 year t- old. I'm don't want, going, don't, want, don't want, want no short
0: dick. Don't, 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 br-
1: don't, don't, br- don't, do don't, want no don't, want no, don't don't want no short dick, man. And my dad's like, what are you doing? I was like, mom made me this CD.
0: I love that we both know that song. Mom made the CD for me, dad. Oh my God, that's so funny. That's so funny, man. <laughs> yeah. I just can't imagine my mother even talking about sex period. She talked about sex to me one time, which was to tell me about the existence of sex, and I think I I think I would have been okay if I had died in that moment. <laughs> I think if I had just died, if I had just been struck dead. That's funny. I think I would be okay. I think everything would have been fine. Yeah. Because I just was like I don't my mother was just the most like Christian Presbyterian like north midwest michigan mm-hmm. mom who's just like well there's this thing called sex and you know women have a vagina mm-hmm. and men they put their penis in it and I'm like I want to fucking die I want to die right that's now that's really funny I'm like 11 and I want to die like that's I, amazing it was it was the most I have trouble even talking about it now
1: my mom is very open about all that kind of stuff. I
0: just can't imagine even growing up in a family like that.
1: And my mom would put on, I remember when I was like 17, and I was I was still in in my hometown, and she would be getting ready to go out to the club or whatever, and she'd be like, what do you think about this? And I'd be like, maybe she'd turn around, and it'd be in this sheer top, and I'd be oh like, maybe something that I, I she could, oh no, I was, I'd be, no, this is later. This would be like when I was 21, and I could go out to the club with her. And she was, I would be coming from Chicago and she would have that sheer top on with a bunch of glitter. And I'd be like, she'd be like what do you think? And I would be like, maybe, <laughs> maybe something where your
0: son can't see your boobs. And she's like, <laughs> okay, but it's good though. Right. And I'm like, no, <laughs> not to me. God damn it. <laughs> so I just can't, I, I, I would want to, I literally don't want to die. I'd mm-hmm. want to shoot myself in the face. So so I don't know, know how you fucking put up with I don't know oh, how it's, you did it
1: uh just you yeah, get just, just what it is <laughs> <laughs> just what it is but so um so going back the did all that this is like twenty ten and then I just I just kept doing music and comedy yeah and I started performing more for less for stand up clubs because they were not set up for music
0: yeah. Well, what clubs were you back then what clubs were you performing at? Uh
1: there was like Gotham Comedy Club in in New York City. Oh so
0: you were really doing like you were doing like club ass clubs, man, like oh, real ass clubs. Oh, I was doing clubs. clubs. Yeah. Yeah. So how did you so but you, so you had the album out and then when you just it was because of your involvement with Second City and the tour company that had led to like kind of the opportunity to go in and do a lot of this stuff. How did you even book those gigs back then? I just messaged people. Got it. Okay.
1: It's just tenacity. Yeah. I mean, but also I had a... Elbow grease. Yeah. Elbow grease. But also I, I did have a background. Got it. You know, it. I, could, here's my, I was like, I, please book me for this. Here's my website. And my website would have... It wasn't like I just was a crazy person. <laughs> I, you know, my website would have good videos and good audio yeah. content. Yeah, had and,
0: like good stuff. So people knew what they were... You were a known product. Yeah,
1: yeah. It was... Yeah. it. Yeah, I couldn't... I would not have booked the gigs I booked had I just said, I want to perform here. Yeah. And then they said, well, where's... Some content, and I'd be like, don't, uh, "Don't have any." Yeah, so it wasn't like it was book nothing. me. Yeah, yeah, I I was I made sure that I kept stepping it up. That yeah. I would shoot a video. Yep. I would edit it and then put it up online, and then have that, and it kept increasing in, in Got quality. It. I guess
0: what I was aiming for with that question was were uh, you weren't like working with it, you weren't like opening for a person or something like this.
1: No, I mean, like I opened for Reggie Watts, but that was. That, that didn't com- that didn't have anything else come after it. Got it. I was just got booked Be- from a at a theater because
0: there was like a whole bunch of uh, first of all Reggie Watts is cool. That's amazing that you got to do that. Um, but there was this whole period of time for years where like musical comedy was like a real like I'm thinking Stephen Lynch and like this is people always say this um, yeah. But there what- was like a whole movement like Jay Chris Newberg who's a, a friend of mine and started in Detroit at similar times. He was a he was a musician for years before he got into doing comedy. Yeah. And so he would get on his, he would start playing his guitar, but then Stephen Lynch became so popular that he was like, I shouldn't yeah. do this because I don't want to fall into this genre of people. But there was like a handful of these people who, who it, there were, always
1: are. And it's generational that people think, what you're saying which is that it's yeah. that it's like it happened and then it was gone but it's actually never gone yeah um but it is generational i noticed i wonder
0: that if that's true with all trends and there's going to be like another jeff dunham like soon there will i'm sure <laughs> that it, but it,
1: like i can you know back from the late 1800s yeah. there's there's different comedic musicians back to the early 1900s there's ones that, like there was one that go um, shave and cream be nice and clean Shave every day, and you'll always be clean. I uh I up with something to tell you. I I have something to tell you. It may hurt your feelings a bit, but I went to the corner store and I slipped in a pile of shaving cream. <laughs> I just made those lyrics up, but it is the point so of the song. It's the whole idea of the song. The point yeah. of the song is that you think he's gonna say. Uh, bad word. Yeah. And then it says shaving cream because he like has song, and all it sounds those like a other song different like my grandfather would sing. It's like, like a bunch of those um uh, rhyme switch yeah songs There's a classic. Those, those, those that was written in the, like 1920s. Uh, oh wow. And then it was re-recorded in the 60s by Dr. Demento. Uh
0: well but, there's like a there's but this is it's funny because like my I come from a Scottish family. And there's all these like old old recordings of like these Scott. As soon as like you know they could record audio, mm-hmm. there's all these old Scottish singers who had been wandering around the Highlands, right? And they did these kinds of songs. Yes, there's a bunch of them, yeah, actually. And it was like Especially a whole Scottish. But I don't know why. Yeah, I don't know why either. It was like a whole like risque like. I love Scottish people. Co- co- <laughs> yeah, <right. laughs> there's a whole like risque culture of of this kind of thing for some reason in Scotland, and they would so there's all these like old recordings that my grandmother and my great grandmother would play yeah. of like these guys who would and it was weird because it was like they would sing a song and then in the middle of the song they would stop and they would just talk for a while <laughs> and it would be like a story or like but it would have like punch lines kinda yeah and they would and it was in the Scottish accent that I couldn't so understand but, similarly yeah uh jimmy do you know who jimmy durante is yeah so jimmy
1: durante similarly at the time that was actually a really i this is how much i know about like musical stuff is that in the time in the 40s it was very common for songs to have a song they that, that wouldn't even have very many just a, maybe yeah. two or three verses <laughs> and then in the middle like now we have a bunch of verses but in the middle somebody would just talk yeah they'd be like so baby and like there was the ink spots, the ink spots <laughs> were so a band, funny. and they would like. So here's what I got, or they like, they might even talk the same lyrics, but it's just spoken. Yeah. But Jimmy Durante would do because he was a, he was a musician. would he, yeah. he had like a big band when he was in his 20s, and then when he was he became even really famous later in life yeah. as like old man like. Ha, cha, 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 yeah. Jimmy Durante, <laughs> and then so Jimmy Durante he would he would do his bit. Where's the broads? Um, he like uh. Uh, but I was eight of a song and the song will be going on and we'd we'll be playing the piano and dancing and then and suddenly in the middle like the band's playing like and there's some the you know beautiful ladies this is the fifties and so it's in black and white and the ladies are dancing and then he's just then he's just telling jokes and he's like so. You got a bull in a china shop, and then the bull is running around, and you don't want the bull in the china shop, right? No. So you grab the bull by the horns, but the bull's gone back, and it's gone forth, and gone back, and gone forth, and suddenly you look at the bull in the eyes, and then the bull goes, Hey, I know your mother. <laughs> these are the jokes, folks, and then it would go back into the back song. Into the song. Like, this is, I'm again making that part up, but That's so but, fucking funny. <laughs> there is some bit where where he did talk about it, but he would the like. I love Jimmy Durante's songs because they're a song, and then he goes into these random
0: jokes. Yeah,
1: and then if the joke doesn't hit, because you don't hear the audience, <laughs> he laugh, would just go back back into the song. Go, he would he would go back he would before he go. These are the jokes, folks, and then he would like like he would apologize that way. That's what we got. That's what we got to deal with, because he was a vaudeville performer.
0: Oh my god! I wrote this article on Cora a while ago. Where it was I was talking about. It's funny because I think of like Henny Youngman, like you were talking about mm-hmm. Jim Lehrer earlier. But like Henny Youngman would get on stage with a violin, mm. and he would like almost never play it, but he would always have it. Have it. And sometimes he would be like, and he would like go to play it, and then he wouldn't play it, and then he would like start <laughs> telling jokes again. That's but he really always funny. fucking had it. Yeah. And like sometimes he would like do stuff, but he uh, it was funny. But um, one of the first like stand-up comedy sets like ever recorded on like on video was or on video on film it was like one of the early talkies and it was a vaudeville performer i forget who it is but it's it's in this article i'll link it in the show notes or whatever but it's funny because that's what the the show was was it was like i'm gonna sing and i'm gonna dance and then i'm gonna tell a story and then i'm gonna then this and then i got a couple of quick jokes for you guys and stuff but it always had like audience interaction so it was weird to watch it on film as a talkie because it's like there's Audience interaction. It was built for audience yep. interaction. Yep. But there's no audience because it's a fucking movie. Right. So, like, it was it was super strange to watch that because, like, you don't watch a movie now where the person performing says something. Right. They don't reference a live audience. But yeah. Like, and
1: when in the 50s, Jimmy Giganti's doing it in a radio hall with an audience. With an audience.
0: But like it's it's so strange to to watch that before like people who were making that had like figured that out. Mm-hmm. He's on a soundstage. There's no live people. That's funny. And he's like, "What's that, ma'am?" And you're like, <laughs> "Nobody, <laughs> nobody's here." <laughs> like, What's that, ma'am? Yeah, that's funny. So uh,
1: uh, so going going forward, then uh, I started to teach more. Yeah, and teach at colleges and things like that, and then.
0: Um, so how did you get into that then because it's like so there's a lot of the stuff that you were doing with comedy clubs and stuff was all just self you know determined and and put together did you did you just message colleges or improv groups or like how how did you put that together I first got booked
1: by a person to teach at Columbia College in Chicago and then I at at that point I was like oh I can I can teach at the college level Ah. it's not it's and to me for students it was no more intense than it was less intense than improv students who are Mm. already like into it right yeah in the world so I realized I had the skills I had the background I yeah. had all of the an e- e- extreme amount of training and an extreme amount of uh life experience yeah to to be like here's all of what I can do yep and so I yeah I just started contacting colleges and saying hey here's my background would you like me to come teach a musical improv workshop and they would say yep and then I would go And the same thing is for today that if I wanted to go to Europe, I will say, I want, I'll contact, like I contacted recently, I I have a friend who's in, who's in Orlando. Got it. And they were like, you should come here and play. And I was like, I would, or hang out. And I was like, that sounds great. Is there a team that's there? So I looked up a team that's in Orlando. I said, here's my website. Would you like me to teach? And because of my background, if I didn't have the background that I had, I couldn't do that. Yeah. They look at my website they see all of the experiences, all the all the touring that I've done, all all that and videos and it's well put together on my site. And then I pretty much always get something. Yes. Yeah. A when. Uh, it's always a when. Yeah. I don't actually have if. I've it's never a had a no. Yeah. I yeah. I mean, I've a blan- had, I had a blanket no when yeah. I was like
0: 20. Yeah. You've gotten, but I mean, like, it's never been a blanket no from a place. It's like some places will be like, yeah, yeah, sure, we'll have you.
1: Yeah. Or or they'll say, you know, what's the rate? And then I'll, I'll tell them what the rates are. And some say, well, we can't do that. But it's not that they don't want me. What are the rates, just
0: out of curiosity? Uh, well, you're, you're afraid to mention them. I don't want to. You, you can't them. negotiate after you do it publicly. All right, we'll yeah. do, a, do, it, do it off air. <laughs> I, I'm just curious what it is. Uh, but. Yeah, it does.
1: <laughs> but just what I can say is that it it does, it is it does change
0: quite a bit because you have a sliding scale. I have an absolute sliding scale, depending Be, on depending on what number of depending students, depending on corporate, depending yeah, what the budget is. Mm. Um,
1: and and I, really, I want to make it beneficial for all parties. Got it. So in, in the end, I'm like, can it work for me? Can it work for the theater or college or whatever? And if we can make it all work, is it you know is it bene- is it does it give value to the students and does yeah. it give value to everybody involved? And if it does, then great. Yeah. We'll go forward. And what those amounts of, 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 for money, what those, these can change because the values can change. Got it. Okay.
0: Yeah, that, that makes sense. Yeah. Well, that's pretty cool, man. I think that's amazing to have the freedom to go do that. And you just like, r- yeah. research. you just do your own research and just message people and mm-hmm. all that kind of stuff. So then
1: I'll put a tour together or I, or I won't, or I'll just go fly out to one place and come back. Got it. Um, And I, yeah, but I've, I've generally stayed in Chicago for the past, year and a half because of my pooch being, yeah being, being sick, sick. So i'm like yeah he staying. mentioned this beforehand but i was gonna do a whole tour this year because i thought he was gonna be gone oh man but i'm, I'm glad he's not gone but i was like <laughs> people have been like why aren't you coming to europe and i'm like i well my dog uh, yeah it's well, a noble I, yeah
0: <laughs> the poor guy he's sweet uh and crazy but yeah. sweet <laughs> i am i'm thinking about putting together a, a tour into the, i've never been to scandinavia and um I was talking to, I'm doing this, launching this other podcast that I've mentioned a couple of times uh, on this pod already called Funny Planet, where we're, I'm interviewing just comedians, stand-up comics, mostly stand-up comics, but just all comedians from all over the world. That's the other thing I was going to say is like, you, you were, to, we were talking about this We like, had made the same idea almost at the same
1: time yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because I was like, wait, what?
0: <laughs> yeah, well, that's what we had talked about. I had, um, we did, I shot that pilot in um Iceland and then I was like showing that stuff to you, I think. But like that was... The you had...
1: I would actually... When we met at the Troubadour, yeah. I was talking to you about the idea that I had. Oh, yeah. And then you said, it's so funny because I'm actually shooting I'm actually doing that. It's just <laughs> like that. And I was like, really? Yeah. So it was interesting. That I told you the idea, yeah. but you all had already done it.
0: Yeah. We had, recorded the, we had recorded the pilot episode in Iceland, in Reykjavik, um, in March of that year. I'd quit my job. It was a fucking insane. It has been crazy though, since this. Anyway, uh... And we're still working, moving forward with people and flying out to L.A. next week to meet with the um, advisor from Netflix on the project. Oh, currently? And, um, yeah. Oh, good. Well, I mean, we'll see. Well, you never know. But he, hope- he's he's an advisor. Let me, let me caveat this. He's an advisor on the project. He is also at Netflix. In his capacity as advisor on the project, he is not representing Netflix. Yeah. <laughs> mm. Okay. But, but I still hope for the he won hope an, for the best. He won an Emmy last year, so Great. that was pretty cool. And I, I mean, I'm just excited to see him and talk further about this stuff. When I explain
1: the likelihood of projects getting picked up to people, I'm I explain like it's
0: very low. Yeah. But
1: that doesn't mean it's a bad thing. It's no. just like it's just what it is.
0: Yeah. Yeah, it, well, it's like it's like going out into a field and catching a shooting star in your baseball mitt. Like it's it's it can it could happen. It could happen. <laughs> It could happen. Very low likelihood, but it could happen. Yeah. It's kind of like crazy to think about because it. people who aren't – the way that uh, – and the producer's guide with Todd Garner, the way that Todd Garner talks about it is he's like, you have to love this – you have to love your projects so much that it actually doesn't make sense. And you have to love doing them so much and be involved with it so much that it actually goes beyond the borders of rationality because right. the likelihood that any of them are gonna work out is so low. Right. And so I mean, what's kinda cool in it is that it's provided me with a lot of, you know, connections and to talk with people and I wouldn't be in I wouldn't have ta- I would never gone to a New York television festival. I would have never met with a bunch of executives at True TV, at Funny Or Die, at Comedy Central, mm-hmm. at Canal Plus, at any of this shit. I wouldn't be launching this podcast now like where I'm interviewing people and comedians and stuff I wouldn't have gone to Reykjavik Iceland I wouldn't know the Icelandic community um, I wouldn't have th- be thinking about doing a tour of Scandinavia like none of that shit would have happened if I had never done this. I like Scandinavia I would have had like probably like 20 grand more in, in, in the bank <laughs> if you're doing
1: a scandinavian tour i and for some reason you have a another person to jump on this tour i'm i'm in because i i do i have, i know a lot of people that want me in scandinavia yeah
0: and i keep needing reasons to go yeah well let's let's talk about it because like that it's something that i i really think i want to do and um you know, I the, the just a lot of my friends who have done comedy over there are like, oh yeah, if you're an American, they're excited to see they you. They are do comedy. very excited, yeah. And they're so great. They're so nice. Don't actually fucking pay you to see
1: your show. Well, yeah, because they're they money. They have a lot of it, and they, it's and it's uh, they 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 have a high standard of living.
0: Yeah, it's just wild. I think like the 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 amount of comedy shows I've not gotten paid on is so much <laughs> greater. Yep. so much out, so weight heavily weighted to that direction. <laughs> mm-hmm.
1: So now going back again. Yeah, sorry. Go uh, ahead. No, it's okay. Uh, going, I keep answering your initial question to, to completion. Uh, <laughs> Let's do it. We make the so, whole podcast. I like it. So we so going from there, uh, teaching musical improv, but also performing at more festivals, um, and and then also working on digital content, creating more digital content now. Got it. Um. And so that's, I think that's it. And it comes down to capitalism of like, I need to make money, but also I don't want to do anything. I don't, I'm not excited about, Yep. but how do I give value to people? And how do I give value to people is I can teach them what I have with the knowledge that I have. I can, I can teach them. And so that brings me income. And then I can, I can make music that people like, and that affects their you know society or whatever else and that i get money from that i perform live at at speakeasies and cabarets in chicago those do really well for me because i'm comedic music so it's like a variety performer yeah so i've had to find these niches and that's kind of where i'm at now is is realizing okay there's for any me or any other artist comedian or painter whatever else there's no there's no one thing Yeah, it's always a bunch of things. And how do you how do you bring value into your life? And how do you keep making income to fulfill that and also fulfill other people's lives? Oh,
0: man, this is exactly I mean, you're Yeah, I I relate to this so hard. Because I feel like (laughs) I just like I ended up quitting my job at the uh, big the company I was working at when we met in in, uh, London. I quit working there because it was like it was consuming my entire life. I had no time to do almost any other activities, and I finally was like, you know what? I can't live like this. Like I'm right. making I'm making really good money, which is great, and I shouldn't complain about the job too much because it, you know, afforded me to shoot and basically produce that pilot, and mm-hmm. you know, and and afforded me a whole lot of like travel. I was able to put money in the bank, get some like financial security, which i had never had before in my life, and like that that was all great, mm-hmm. but you know that being said it was like I had no time or energy to put into any creative outlets right and I was like I can't do this like yeah. I can't, I, can't I, I cannot do this I have this is too important to me and it's weird because I talk about this with people sometimes it, I, I I almost wish I didn't have that didn't I have the, the the desire to do create put energy and time into creative projects uh, mm, and, mm-hmm. because I feel like I I genuinely it would be an easier life if you didn't ha- have the desire, true. Our it, our system is set up to not have that. Yeah, and it makes <laughs> no sense. Like, and, and because of the way the capital system is that we live in, there are people who have had, through you know, by hook or by crook or by luck, have like ended up in a position early where they're getting lots of attention mm-hmm. for the for for doing any of this sort of stuff, and it's it's a total accident. Right, but and, it doesn't mean it lasts forever for them. No, that's true, but it's also weird because it's like if you. If you're not, if you don't get caught in one of those positions, it's very difficult to True. do any. I think, let me give you another example that isn't this podcast or comedy or any of this shit. I write articles on Quora.com. I just refer to this one. The best article I wrote, I think, is the history of stand up comedy and why specifically Richard Pryor is this land. People still look at him as this landmark of like stand up comedy. Um, and I go through the whole history of from vaudeville all the way to Richard Pryor and then beyond and talk about why he's this like landmark. I think it's the best article I've ever, ever written doesn't have the most doesn't get the most attention, but th- let's set that aside for one second. That's part of the reason I like answering questions on Quora is just to to go through the process of them. I've had like millions of reads on Quora, millions. They just sent one of my answers the other day. They emailed me 2.3 million people they sent it out to. I've made zero money from Quora. Right. Zero. And we live in this world right now where this is like so normal for some reason mm-hmm. that you're everybody here. I think all the people producing YouTube, like tons of shit, this podcast I've done for two years and didn't start it to try to make any money. But like I put this out for years and it's never made a dime. It co- it's only a, a, a sink in terms of cost for me. And it feels like there are, s- that's just the world we live in. And it's weird to look at like Scandinavia just to return to this where it's like, you know, there's so many people in Chicago right now, and I, I'm sure you're one of them where it's like, even if you make money doing some shows, the number of times you perform for nothing is like so high. And that's next, not true for me. Is it not? Oh. <laughs> okay. I, I say no a lot to yeah. gigs. Yeah. Well, good. I mean, you're, you're, that's <laughs> yeah, an envious position to be in. But I think like for the for the average sort of. Con- but that's because that's
1: why I stopped doing stand up. Yeah. I didn't, well, I never did stand up, but that's why I stopped doing stand up venues because I would, it, yeah. it, it was a value. I was spending too much time there mm. and not, and I wasn't getting enough income value. And so I was, I needed to switch it.
0: Yeah. Well, I mean, I think that's a wise choice then because it feels like that's a real, like it's something that everybody, in the world of stand up specifically, is, it deals with. is like, oh, yeah. Like, they pay, they pay, most clubs pay performers hardly anything. Any, yes. Even when they're headlining sometimes, even, I mean, especially especially if they're just featuring or hosting. Right. Or
1: there was, I remember in, when I was 18, uh, I was at somebody's graduation party and there were two comedians that got booked for, to perform at the party. And I realized during the guy's set that and he's one of the jokes the punchline was like <clears throat> he was like i was i was this big dude he was like i'm a black man and what did he say he was like i'm a black man and uh it's so cold i, I can't i can't take the cold it was so cold that uh, my nipple fall off, fell off and i looked down and i thought it was a milk dud the punchline was <laughs> that he thought it was a milk dud and that in my mind connected to remembering i'd seen that on comedy central uh, and i talked to him afterward and i was like hey i didn't you were on, you were on comedy central and i i wanted to get in a lot of information from him cuz i was sure. going to move to chicago yeah. i was really excited and he gave me this really jaded answer of you know they paid me x amount for that i've never seen any more and they pay, they play that all the they fucking they play time. that comedy special oh. all the time and i never see any extra from it and here I am playing at a graduation party. <laughs> oh, man. And yeah. I, he was like, this is what it is. Yeah. And I was,
0: as an 18-year-old, I was like, oh, my God. At least you knew that then. I mean, I kind of knew that. I think it's part I still of went. I was like, all right. I think st- it's part of the reason I flirted with doing comedy my whole life because I started doing stand-up when I was 16. I just posted the interview I did with Mark Ridley from the Comedy Castle. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I knew him since I was 16. I had two uncles who were stand-up comics. Mm-hmm. And I think I kind of knew what it would be like because I just was like, shit, this is just... It's a slog, but Jerry Jerry Seinfeld has this great story about um, Glenn Miller. Um, I don't know if you've ever heard this. I have not. Glenn Miller was uh, on a train with all of his um, with his whole orchestra. Everybody's on it, and they're on this train, and um, they're about to make it to this town, this little town in the Midwest. It's the middle of winter, mm-hmm. and just as the train is about to get to the town, the train breaks down, and they can see the town. It's across this big muddy field of snow and all this stuff and and they go we got to be at this venue in like an hour <laughs> like what are we doing and so they go all right fine everybody grab your instruments and they get their instruments and they start walking across really? this gross muddy field in the middle of the winter time the snow is coming down and uh everybody's shoes are gross and nobody has like the right you know, equipment to be walking across. They don't have rubber boots or anything. Right. So they're getting all soaked and it's totally miserable. And they're halfway across. Some of them are lugging these big instruments with them. Right. And as they're walking across this field, they turn and they see this little farmhouse. And in the farmhouse, there's this family and they're sitting down to a dinner and it's really nice and warm. And, and uh, they can see that there's like a turkey dinner on the table and the husband's like carving it up and he's handing it to his wife and his kids. And one of the musicians turns to the other one and he goes, "The way some people live," and <laughs> then keeps walking. And I love—I feel like I love it because the whole point of it is—it's like <laughs> you can't. I don't know. I guess you can't do it any other kind of way. <laughs> it's
1: yeah, yeah. The life of a performer is is uh, weird, thankless.
0: I think in many ways. <laughs>
1: but I but I think that in in going going back of. Of you know that's the way it is and that's the income that's made is 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 sometimes great and then suddenly sparse is is the way for i would say most artists yeah not all but most and which is where i think you know jack conti who is a musician who created patreon yeah i think he was trying to figure out how can we do something so that people can get paid he he he'd spent i mean the the point for him was he had spent ten thousand dollars on creating a video like a really intense video on the set and and it put so much time into it and then he he was like how do i i'm I'm only gonna make maybe two hundred dollars from it yeah And he did in the end. In the end, off of YouTube monetization, he didn't make much. Oh yeah. And but he had, but at the same time, he had had with a friend developed Patreon, and then he was hoping that it was a way that he because he knew he was going to get an insane amount of views. Yep. And then he was putting value in people's lives by them enjoying it. But he was like, will they put? Will those people that are enjoying it? Yeah. Then give back and say, <laughs> I, you know, I'll give a dollar, give whatever it is, and to to help you create more things, and then. Soon after that, he had, he had within, I think, two weeks, he had made 5000 off of the Patreon, yeah. which is the first ever Patreon page. We was just testing it. And then the, the company, he had, the video that we made was called Pedals, and it, it featured a lot of these pedals from a company that he worked for years ago that he was hoping to make money from and never did. And yep. he was really bummed about it. But then, because he'd made this really cool video that featured all the pedals... Even though he wasn't getting paid by the company for it, the CEO had seen it, saw how many views he got, and then saw his plea at the end to say, I, you know, I'm, I'm asking people to put this money in to this Patreon. I'm testing it out. Hopefully, you know, we can do this together. And then the CEO wrote him a check for $5,000.
0: Well, that's nice. So within two weeks, he
1: had made up that amount.
0: Yeah. Yeah. But I mean like I, I reflect on my own experience I created a comedy special that I per- self-produced did it at the MC the Musical Comedy MCL what, MCL theater now defunct mm-hmm. all it needed was one special for me to take it down uh <laughs> and uh same thing put po- it out on YouTube thousands of people watched it zero have received zero ever probably will from it I don't know if it's even gotten me a single gig or anything. Either. I mean, who knows how this stuff works out? The point I'm making isn't to tell a woe is me story. I guess the point the point is that who the fuck knows where any of this stuff is going? You know right, what I mean? Correct. Like you got no idea the where where things are going to end up or where they're not going to end up or what's going to catch or what's not going to catch mm-hmm. or like any of that stuff. But I think the, the, the thing for me is it just feels like it's, it's good to just create stuff. I think it's cool that you're in a position to go – around kind of, you know, wherever you want, teaching, uh, and then doing shows and things like this. Yeah.
1: My wife, uh, who is She runs a modern dance company. She was like,
0: do you know
1: that I can't do that? And I've been running this company for 15 years. And I was like, okay, not like I haven't been working in comedy world for that for longer than that. But, but I was like, I understand, honey. And she's like, it would be nice. I love traveling. Yeah. And you want to stay home. She's like, my girlfriend's the same she's thing. Like, it would be nice if I could just yeah. ask anybody,
0: and okay, I was like, "Yes, it would be nice, babe." like, <laughs> my girlfriend's similar. She teaches yoga, teaches yoga all over the city, and she's like, "I can't go anywhere and teach just teach yoga." I'm like, "Well, you know, you're not trying to build a brand around, <laughs> around mm-hmm. doing that." Mm-hmm. Oh man, uh, we're hitting up on the hour, dude. If people want to follow you or or check you out or follow in your stuff, where can they uh, go? Oh, I'd say you can go to mattgriffo.com. It's m a t
1: t g r i ffo.com or i update my instagram pretty regularly so there's that i have patreon.com slash matt griffo and uh the youtube spotify apple music any of those um soundcloud but my my patreon actually you can you can actually just make an account on there and then just follow different people yeah you don't have to actually pay financially back them because there, because there will be public posts too, and I actually follow. I back certain people on Patreon, and but I also I probably follow quadruple that amount mm. because I I don't have an I don't have however I don't have like a hundred dollars to just like yeah with that many people to, yeah, to, <laughs> to dole just out shoot around yeah but it's I'll, really, follow,
0: I'll follow a lot of people on Patreon for a dollar I, I do that yeah like if there's any because I feel like even a dollar a month is like something that yeah is like worth tossing at somebody right. But yeah, doing that, um, I'm creating a, a podcast. It's literally better than zero, and it makes a huge fucking difference to the people That's who true. you're who you're following. Even even if that money isn't substantial enough to like change any material process of their life, just having anybody who's like I, around you who's like I'm willing to pay to see you, it or, actually does
1: help. Yeah, uh, you know, it does. Yeah, no, the no amounts do help.
0: So go to the madness continues Patreon. No, the. <laughs> the what was i saying
1: oh is that um so I'm, I'm creating a podcast as a musical podcast where somebody tells a story a true story like a, that's well known and then musical improvisers improvise songs to the story oh, that's and a great that's idea. how it continues the the tale
0: that's a great fucking idea Ah, uh-huh. it's a well known true story though it's like a story from history or something mm-hmm. Oh my god, I want to do this so bad.
1: Yeah, well, you can be a storyteller. On the I show. would. Lo-
0: oh my god, Matt, I would love to do this so bad. So that's that's I'm pretty excited about it. Yeah, and they can follow you on the Patreon to learn more about that.
1: Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna make it's gonna be just included in that. So I'm gonna any of the posts I'll just post on there and that'll be that'll be public.
0: Dope. Well, I'm gonna I'll have this all in the show notes so everybody can follow you and all that stuff. Cool. Um, but man, otherwise, thanks for showing up, dude. This is good to catch up with you and. Yeah, that's fun. Oh, the ice is coming off your roof. No, it's like melting <laughs> off the roof. Yeah, we got the. Oh, it's, was time. it's supposed to be like forty something, like tomorrow or something. It's like twelve out right now. It's, yeah, it's really cold it's, right now. This uh, Chicago fucking weather, man. This is so bad. I was just telling somebody this the other day. Is that when uh, you remember the uh, winter from thirteen to fourteen? In uh, in the Midwest, 2013? 2013, 2013, 2014, yeah, not not 1913 <laughs> and 1914. I don't particularly not remember. Like, it. Oh, the the world, the First World War was going on, or was it was just about to start? And uh, not 1813 to 14 either, when Napoleon was in in Europe. What, uh, why what happened? Well, it was just a really bad winter. It was just really bad. My grandfather was born in 1930, and I remember, so he was like 84, 83, 84, and he was like, "This is the worst winter I can remember." <laughs> And anyway, I mentioned that because like this in November, this is how it was then too. Right. And so I'm like, this is going to be a fucking worse winter. Like it's just going to, I'm just really worried about how this is going to end it's up. It's interesting that the, uh, as I go around the world, yep, everybody,
1: everybody, every country, uh, uh in Iceland, in Indonesia, in, uh, Spain, wherever, everybody's like, weather's crazy <laughs> this isn't we this is weird and it, and, it, and it's both ways it's like super cold and also extremely hot yeah and it's
0: and yeah so oh, you heard our president those are
1: just a chinese hoax China. the weather's never been more stable my dad thinks the same thing and so does he really so i you know it's gotta be true <laughs>
0: <laughs> it's gotta be true dad rochester new york man he would know uh when uh, i was in hawaii with him he goes and I was like, what? <laughs> "What? You know what chemtrails are, right? Yeah, of
1: course." And then, just so you, if you don't know what chemtrails are, people think that the trails that that planes make, the white lines, which are actually condensation because of the heat and there's and it's cold up there, it creates condensation. So it's essentially creating clouds. That's the scientific what's happening. But what they think is that it's they're actually <laughs> releasing chemicals that are affecting either people or they're or, or releasing chemicals to affect
0: the the weather of the world. So that's what they think. I mean, technic- technically they are. My dad. Like with CO2 and whatever. But anyway, sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. Uh, so, so dad- my dad thinks that. And he, when we were in Hawaii, there were no, he was like, look
1: at this guy. And I was like, what? He's like, there's no, there's nope. no chemtrails. <laughs> and he's like, they're not, he's like, they're not spraying here. And I was like, no, dad. And I went on my phone and I looked up Chemtrails Hawaii. And I was like, look, there's a ton of photos of, of people thinking that here. Oh, because planes exist. Yeah. And then uh, he was like, oh, no, it's here,
0: too. And I was like, no, that's not the point. That's <laughs> not the point of what you're supposed to get from from Oh, this. my God. He should meet my dad. He just, I'm, My dad's not a conspiracy theorist, like, really, but it almost feels like if you talk to him for long enough, some shit will come out that you're like, dad, that's not real. Like, it's just, <laughs> like, he'll just be, like, he just, like, because if you bring it up and you're like, man, you know, people believe that, like, lizards run the government, dad. Isn't that crazy that, like, Alex Jones and my dad's like, that's retarded. How can anybody believe that? And then later my dad will be like, you know, like they're putting chemicals in beef that like actually can like (laughs) fuck up your whole and you're like, what the, what? Yeah, no, it's not just the antibiotics. It's like some other, I'm like, what are you talking, what the fuck are you talking about? Like it's, my dad's such a unique guy. He's like, you'd like him. He, um, he, he owns and planted and created his own vineyard in his own yard in Northern Michigan. Wow. Yeah. He bought a genetically engineered grape, By the University of Minnesota He's like one of a handful of people in the United States To buy this grape And plant these vines That in the next few years It's a special cold weather grape It's called the Marquette grape He just knows all about it I should have him on the podcast again You should have him on the the the, podcast Minnesota they just keep releasing
1: Genetically altered uh, things that everybody wants to eat Like like, um, Honeycrisp apples Yeah from, From Minnesota Genius these guys people love those things
0: yeah right what a, <laughs> a better better living through chemistry uh, <laughs> all right take it easy matt griffo thanks for dropping by thanks Thanks so much for listening to the Madness Continues Podcast. Once again, this is Brendan Lemon. If you liked what you listened to, please take a minute to like, to subscribe, to give us a rating. It really does mean a difference. I say us like there's more than one person doing this. Uh, It's just me, everybody, so every little bit of support you can lend would be really appreciated by me. If you want to share this podcast, it would really, really, really mean a lot to me. I hope you come back. I hope you listen and check out the other podcast I produce, Funny Planet, where we talk to different comedians from all over the world about what they're doing and how they are funny in their own cultures you can learn a thing or two and you'll have a laugh too anyway take care take it easy we'll see you here next time